Mini-episode 1112 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at Sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late-night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini-episode number 1112. We are convening again today for the NFL Draft Recap for 2019 with three FDH Lounge original dignitaries, myself, Rick Morris, our senior editor, Jason Jones, and also Chris Galloway. The same roundtable where we usually do the previews and the reviews of the NFL Draft, and so it is again this year, and you can go back and check uh, one of our most recent mini-episodes going back through at 11.10, breaking down our anticipation of this year's NFL Draft, as always, a lot of points in here which surprise, confuse, sometimes disappoint, sometimes delight. There was all of that and much, much more in this. Uh, so uh, a man who is known to feel all of those uh, occasions on a regular basis is our own Chris Galloway. So, Chris, how are you today? I'm doing well. Well, thanks for having me back in. Well, glad to have you back in, my man. And uh, our, uh, our chief ratings analyst here for the NFL Draft, uh, the man who takes the lead in setting the player rankings, the top 200, etc., does a mock draft along with myself, my man Jason Jones. Jason, how are you today, my friend? Hey, you there. Glad to have you uh, back in as well. And uh, before we start with this, uh, I feel that it's only fitting just to sort of tackle some of the sort of side elements of the NFL Draft because the NFL seems to go out of its way to... Uh, clutter this thing these days with as many side elements as possible. Uh, Chris and I had talked about this off-air, Jason. I don't know to what degree you agree with me or not. I I freely admit admit there's a lot of get-off-my-lawn about this, but whether it be the whole thing of going to primetime two nights there, the ABC coverage this year that was targeted at at Housewives, let's have special interest features on the players instead of film and technical stuff and all of that kind of stuff, all the fake charitable stuff along the way as though the NFL gives two craps about sick kids instead of just exploiting them for their own purposes, on and on and on. I mean, I, I know Chris thinks that, that, that I'm, you know, old man yelling at a cloud, and I freely cop to that, but uh, yeah, Jason, you're a purist along like myself. The whole mainstreaming of this event to try to pull in casuals, I, I don't know. Are you as bothered by it as I am, or are you just a little more easy come, easy go about the whole thing? may not be as vocally uh, opposing to it, but it is something that at least mildly rubs me the wrong way. Um, but bear in mind, I'm also the I'm also the guy that rails against the Super Bowl halftime show. Sure, me too. Because I I would much rather than just throw it to the studio, give us a normal ten to fifteen minute halftime show with highlights, and go back to the game. So you know maybe I'm not who they are targeting, but um, you know. When, uh, well, at least uh, NFL Network, uh, they did like a two-day run-up on Dalton Reisner's charitable whatever. And yeah, that's great. I'm, I'm glad that he's helping out kids and all. Um, how that affects draft stock, I don't know. <laughs> 
I don't know either. And uh, again, for uh, for equal time here, I'm going to pitch it to Chris. And uh, Chris, this is this is better than setting the golf ball on the tee for you. This is setting my head on the tee for you, as you rear back with a big uh, Bertha driver. So let it fly. Well, you just sound like a dinosaur. You sound like a cranky old man <laughs> screaming at clouds to me. Um, look, the NFL is a business. These are billionaires trying to uh, make money, and you make money by adding eyeballs to televisions uh, to consume that product. And um, although you know the ABC coverage and the angles and the way in which they sort of made it more popcorny, soap opera-ish, um, you know, does not appeal to me. Um, I understand why they did it. I know a couple of women in my office mentioned to me that they had never watched the draft, didn't know any of the players, but um, that they watched for an hour or two and actually enjoyed it, thought it was pretty neat to watch, quote-unquote. Um, so from that standpoint, mission accomplished for the NFL. Now, I, I would probably take your level of curmudgery if, in fact, that was now the only product available to me. But being that the, old, the NFL network coverage is still there, the ESPN network coverage is still there, and it still tends to cater to uh, Brathniks like us, uh, there's even some pretty pretty good online, um, you know, live broadcast, uh, you know, type programs that people are doing. Uh, on the draft, um, you know, some Vegas guys are doing some different things. So there's lots of content out there for those of us that I would describe as draft nerds. And it doesn't offend me at all that a multi-billion dollar business wants to make more money. And I don't think any of us should be shocked by that. I'm not shocked by that necessarily, but I'm just going to follow up briefly. As you and I discussed off air, Roger Goodell's uh, promise to the owners that this would become a $25 billion enterprise by the time he's done as commissioner. I believe it was about $9 billion when he took over, somewhere in that ballpark. And my argument is that uh, that kind of money is directly inverse to the proportionate quality of the product. Uh, it, just, it just leads to more heinous commercial interruptions. Again, these are not things I think should be illegal or anything like that, that folks who have different politics than you and I might perhaps think, Chris. But just as far as uh, I'll own my curmudgeonliness on this whole kind of a thing. And I just wonder, again, like in this whole thing of like, well, they're just trying to make money. It's just capitalism. I would call it the excesses of casino capitalism. And I would say, basically, is nothing sacred? Are we at the point where, you know, hey, $10,000 auction to go take a waz on Vince Lombardi's grave? Like, where does it all stop, basically, as far as chasing the last dollar, you know? Well, I would, I would, and I would say to you exactly what I said to you the other day. Um, if you should protest immediately by deleting everything about the NFL off of FantasyDraftHelp.com. Well, that's not um, happening. You would never, ever... You would never want to uh, promote that product that is just apparently in your populist bent is uh, some sort of level of evil capitalism. And then beyond that, I expect you to fire off a very stern missive uh, to the WWE and Mr. Vince McMahon um, requesting him to pull the plug on his um, uh, online activities, um, extra programming, and go back to the good old days like it was in the 1980s. 
Well, n- neither of those will be happening anytime soon, but I will tell you this. It's so funny you mentioned WWE. And that's my point, thank you. Here I'll you go. I'll think about it now, and we can move on to the draft. Well, last thing to tell you, though, and you kind of, here's the funny thing. You don't realize that you made my point for me by bringing up WWE. Stephanie McMahon took a lot of heat for saying this, and I think it was a gaffe in the sense that Michael Kinsley once described it as when you accidentally tell the truth. Stephanie McMahon described some of their charitable outreaches, and she was talking about this. I'm paraphrasing here. She said, philanthropy is the future of marketing. And to me, that's the NFL in a nutshell. Let's, let's trot out a sick kid on stage here and pretend we give two craps about the rest of society. Like, that's my whole kind of a thing here. That's just, you know, and I... I, I you, know, you know, listen, I, we can all have that. We can have that attitude about every single industry. You know, name me an industry that doesn't do that, where it's, you know, they trot out some cause or some spokesperson or whatnot. I mean, I don't care if it's cars or computers. They're all... They all use philanthropy as a tool for um, picking up uh, uh, consumers and by then, therefore, improving their bottom line. Anyway, I, yeah. I and Jason would rather... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. We're going to turn it to that. That was always the intention here, but uh, I'm going to start here, uh, and, and I will ask uh, Jason again, you having done the, uh, the top 200 rankings, Jason, and the uh, rankings by position, uh, you perhaps were surprised to see... I'm sure the outcome of our uh, draft rankings here, you can find this on the front page at fantasydrafthelp.com, FDH NFL post-draft team rankings. We have a couple of different categories here. The first two are just scoring the, the players, or I'm sorry, the teams by the uh, where the players were taken out of the top 200, i.e. the number one player overall. Uh, that is 200 points all the way down to the number 200 player is one point. And so Arizona... Uh, did uh, the highest in the raw score of the, uh, uh, of, of the draft picks. But Oakland was two, the Giants were three, and I think the three of us agree that there were some heinous reaches in the first round by both teams. And you go to uh, addressing team need as well, a metric where it's half team need, half scores in the top 200. Oakland, again, finishing first by a wide margin, the Giants finishing third, because, again, they are not penalized for the reaches at the positions. So take that into account. Take that with a grain of salt when you look at these things. And also consider that in past years, I went back and looked, the Browns scored surprisingly well the years that they had bad drafts off of the top 200, which I think tells us an awful lot about We've cracked on the Browns drafting being bad over the years. I think we probably haven't talked nearly enough about how bad the Browns player development was over the years as well and how much they might have ruined actually legitimate players. So there are some surprising results as you look at the top of the draft rankings here, but then you see some teams in there that we would commonly recognize did well. Washington, they did well in both drafting for need and also in drafting quality players here. Shocking to me, and I saw you commenting on this on Facebook, Jason, uh, as far as that we are not used to seeing this out of the Redskins. What uh, They don't have Scott McClough in there making the picks. So I'm not exactly sure who that got outsourced to over the weekend, just that it was unlikely Dan Snyder had the last word. So these raw rankings will sort of give you some raw sense of the winners and losers of this, but again, you sort of have to apply your own criteria. You can't just take these numbers for granted. So I'll start with you, Jason, as far as your thoughts on big winners and big losers for the draft. Well, yeah, the, the Oakland and the New York Giants thing, that just off of recollection, is going to seem odd because uh, while they both took horrible reaches at four and six respectively. They also seemed to sort of pad the stats by having 
three picks in the first round. Uh, so, you know, as long as they didn't wet the bed, they were at least going to score that way. But, uh, but yeah, I think once you get Arizona, you know, that was one of those that, depending on where you sit on Kyler Murray, uh, they seem to get some really nice pieces. Um, so there's that. Then if we skip over Oakland and the Giants, and Cincinnati blows my mind, speaking of people that wet the bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, once you get into New England, Baltimore, Washington, Philly, and so on, Buffalo, um, yeah, there, there were some teams in there that came away with about, you know, four to six really nice, potentially starting cornerstone-type pieces. So uh, that first just raw score, um, if you almost throw out Oakland and New York for having three picks, <laughs> it starts to settle in and making a little bit more sense. And then as you sort of go along the list and see how different criteria add to additional lists, it starts to make a clearer picture. But, yeah, I would say right now, um, not being selfish, Arizona, Baltimore, Washington, Philly, Buffalo, probably the big, big winners as far as I can see. Uh, and then after that, you've got teams that, you know, got some nice players, but also had some head scratches. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. By the way, quick quick follow-up before I go to Chris, as, as far as talking about a loser of the draft. Jason, I know you are not shocked at all to see the low score in terms of player rankings. Uh, 285 for Seattle on here. Uh, I realize that I'm the outlier... <laughs> I'm the outlier among the three of us in liking DK Metcalf. I, I don't uh, stay awake at night worrying about the guy's hips, uh, but I, I, I realize that uh, I'm the outlier there. But between that pick and some of the other ones that they made, I know you thought that uh, John Schneider might have been off on an acid trip or something this weekend. Yeah, I, they can say whatever they want about LJ Collier, but unless he becomes all-world, I'm not, I'm not buying that yet. Um, Blair's okay, but there are about five other safeties that I like better. Um, look, I, the DK Metcalf thing, um, my concern is quite simply that he's going to become David Boston, uh, but we'll, we'll let the jury hold on that one. And then after that, there isn't a worthwhile player for where he was where he was taken mm-hmm. until maybe the sixth round. So, yeah, I have no idea what the heck they were doing. Yeah, and a quick note on Collier before I throw it to Chris. Uh, I don't know that I've ever seen a first-round draft pick, even a late one that wasn't in your top 200. He was your 25th-ranked defensive end, and he went 28th overall. So that was uh, truly, truly amazing. I, I Again, I'm not sure there's any precedent for that uh, as far as the years that we've been doing this. So, uh, Chris, I'm going to throw it to you. Your thoughts on some of the bigger winners and losers of the weekend? Well, my thinking on the draft overall when I was looking at back through all the, the different uh, players the teams took is that there really wasn't a lot of teams that I felt, you know, crushed it this year. I think, by and large, most of these teams were, I think we're going to look back and we're going to say it's a mixed bag for just about everybody. Um, now, there are some ones that I like more than others. There's some I hate, I Seattle, I mean, I didn't understand what they were doing. But even them, uh, you know, there's a player or two in there that I liked, you know, um, getting Benberg uh, Kervin out of Washington in the fifth round, I thought was a, was a really good spot and, and probably a steal. Um, but in terms of teams that I, you know, that I liked, I mean, look, it's going to pain me to say this, but I liked what the Steelers did. Um, I thought moving up for Devin Bush fills a desperate need that they've had since Shazier went down. 
Um, they took a potentially explosive wide receiver out of Toledo. Justin Lane, I was a huge fan of out of Michigan, and I was bummed when the Browns passed on him um, in the third round uh, when he was still there on the board. I mean, what an opportunity to create probably the deepest uh, backfield in, in, in the entire uh, the NFL. Uh, Benny Snell, great running back. Um, big fan of Sutton Smith out of Northern Illinois. Um, so I just I like what the Steelers did. Um, and then, you know, you get into some of the other ones. The ones that I really liked, at least the one that I really kept coming back to throughout the day was I really liked what the Cardinals were doing all day long. Now, I will say, obviously, how this thing works out for them as it relates to, you know, the Kyla Murray pick is how people are really going to grade that draft for them. But um, putting the Kyla Murray uh, pick aside, um, I thought they did a really, really great job, and they picked up a bunch of players that I really coveted. And um, so you can't you can't grade this draft on the whole Rosen trade value thing. Byron Murphy in the second round, Andy Isabella in the second round, Zach Allen out of Boston College, defensive end in the third round, Hakeem Butler. He's still on route running, but he has all the physical tools. He's a lot like Metcalf in that regard. Um, this sort of raw guy that could be great or he could be a bust. Uh, Thompson out of uh, Alabama, the safety. Keyshawn Johnson, great start at Fresno. Um, the, the center out of Georgia, which, you know, again, fixing the line. Um, I, you know, that was the one surprise was I didn't think they did enough on the line. But other than that, they had a lot of talent to that team. Uh, and, of course, one of my one of the guys that I was big on going into this, Michael Dogby, defensive end out of Temple, uh, picking up late in the seventh round. Um, I was shocked by that. I thought Dogby was going to be probably a fifth rounder. So I thought the Cardinals did great. Another team I thought did great was Buffalo. Um, I really liked their draft. I was a little surprised that they didn't go for more, um, you know, uh, wide receiver help. But they did pick up um, – Bills out of West Virginia as an undrafted free agent. Um, Ed Oliver, um, Dawson Knox, the tight end out of Mississippi. Um, you know the linebacker there out of Florida that Jason I think was high on uh, Joseph. And um, yep. so I really you know and Tommy Sweeney, tight end out of Boston College in the seventh round. There was a guy I was like, come on Brown, find a way for this guy. I couldn't believe he was still out there. Um, so I really like what the Bills did. Um, and then, you know, a couple other teams that I thought really helped themselves. I thought the Chargers really helped themselves as it relates to depth and team needs. And I thought that the, um, I thought the, the, the Patriots had a good draft as well. Um, and I thought, uh, picking up the kid out of Arizona State, Harry, there in, um, the first round. You know, they didn't go tight end, but he's a yeah. big throw-the-ball-up-and-let-him-get-it guy in the end zone. And in that regard, different position, but I think that's what they're going to use to replace a guy like Gronkowski. Um, so that's, I think, a really – and the Patriots don't pick receivers in the first round. Um, I, what was the last one? Terry Glenn, maybe? Yeah. Um, back in, like, 96. I mean, so that – I think that speaks a lot. I thought the Patriots did a nice job. And then, you know, just, just to touch on our, our beloved Browns, um, you know, I gave, I gave them a seat. Uh, I'm not sure what we're going to get out of that, you know, out of that second and third round picks. Um, I'm not a, I wasn't a fan of the red line choice. You know, we'll see about Tacky Tacky. Um, he's one of those guys I think that could be 
you know, the diamond in the rough thing could be great or it could just be a total, like, what are you doing? Uh, a lot like uh, Chad, Chad Thomas makes me shake my head in the third round last year. Um, so, you know, I thought the Browns addressed, tried to address points of depth in terms of their needs. And, um, you know, I, so from that standpoint, I, you know, I would rate them out as sort of a C, C-minus kind of territory. Um, you know, nothing there that made me stand up and really scream. Greedy Williams was kind of great in the second round, but, you know, again, learn got to learn how to tackle, and, and before that's going to be really considered a great, you know, potentially a great pick. Yeah, but I, I'm not really as worried about that. I think he's arguably the best athlete out of the cornerbacks this year, and that's what excites me. One of the things here, too, and you mentioned it before, Jason, as far as uh, teams with multiple picks in the first round, that, of course, does not completely dictate destiny as far as the high scores in the draft, and I'll, I'll mention here specifically Kyler Murray 10th overall on the Jason Jones Top 200, Byron Murphy 11th overall on there. Arizona nabs both of them, so they, they get uh, on the scoring system 191 and 190 points respectively. And then you look at a team like Seattle, it gets zero points in the first round for their guy. So it's half where you got your picks and half what, maybe not exactly half and half, but part where you are and part what you're doing with it. And, uh, yeah, I look at these here, and, uh, again, I I agree with a lot of what you guys said as far as how a lot of these teams uh, came out of it. Uh, The one thing that I'd like to follow up with, uh, I will start with you, uh, Chris. We had discussed this off air uh, briefly. Uh, as has been said and known for many years on this show, the Dolphins are my 1A team historically, going back to the days of Bob Greasy when I was a small child. I'm a little disappointed. I feel like the Dolphins were negotiating. Well, they were negotiating against themselves, I feel like, in the whole thing here. And For anybody that thought that Arizona was going to get a 1, I thought it was more close to the notion that they might get a 3. And I wonder just how much negotiating went down. I'm a big believer in the Dolphins' new GM. I, I think that things are moving in the right direction there. And you pointed out, Chris, to me off air, and you're rightfully so, the Dolphins don't bear a big cost in terms of the salary cap the next couple of years for him. But you've got the chance to either tank for Tua or Trevor Lawrence in either of the next two years here, potentially. So I sort of feel like giving up a two, it's going to make it a little bit harder for them to cut bait unless the kid is absolute dog crap. My fear is it's going to be a muddled kind of middle where in, in, in a year, you know, the, you've got a high bar, I think, to move on from a second-round pick. And I'm not sure that the kid's going to play poorly enough to justify cutting him or well enough to justify passing on Tua. I fear that they could be caught in the middle by paying that too, Chris. Well, let me just let me step back. Um, the Dolphins draft, really the only thing I liked in the draft itself was Christian Wilkins in the first round. I, I was obviously yep. a big fan of. He was the only Clemson player I would have touched in this draft. Um, and uh, I'm also a big fan of him as a person. And I think he can fit in uh, Flores' system because he can align in multiple spots, which is important for what they're going to try to do. Right. Um, getting back to the Rose, and, listen, he gave up the 62nd pick. Um, you know, it's not breaking the bank on their future in terms of the rebuild of the Miami Dolphins to lose out on the 62nd pick. And I think it's a very minimal cost in terms of that, in being able to get a guy that many people thought was, you know, obviously one of the top quarterbacks last year. And, um, 
you know, as I pointed out to you, the Cardinals are paying most of their financial costs you right. know, in terms of salary and signing bonuses. So, I mean, he's on the books for like $2 million a year for like the next three years for the Dolphins. I mean, that's just ridiculously cheap. So there's very little. Is there some risk? Of course, there's always risk in anything. What if you passed up, you know, potential Hall of Fame player that you could have drafted by shipping off the 62nd pick? But at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I think it was a it was a really good move. Um, I, I think that you know, what if Rosen turns into something? The risk versus potential reward. The reward far out risk. Uh, and you know, you're getting into sort of like the oh, they don't feel like they can draft another quarterback. Or the, I don't, you know. Listen, I don't know what the new regime there and how they're going to play that stuff, but I doubt, based on how little they gave up for him, that they're going to feel committed to him if they decide to. <laughs> so that shit, as a, as a fan, shouldn't bother you at all. Potentially, you've got, you've got a very good, serviceable quarterback that we know the Patriots were um, high on the year before, which is why I think Flores and his guys went ahead and made this deal because they already had the paperwork and the scouting that the Patriots had done. Uh, on him the year before, which is why on February 11th, when the Browns, or not the Browns, when the Cardinals, uh, you know, hired Kingsbury, I tweeted out, prediction, <laughs> Cardinals will draft Kyler Murray and trade Rose into the Dolphins. And that was at 11.19 a.m. on February 11th. Yeah. So, I will, uh, <laughs> I'll put my feet up on the desk on that way and say, told you so. Well, yeah, good good uh, call on that one. I will put you over for that. Uh, Jason, your thoughts on this. I know a year ago, again, you and I weren't necessarily as high on Rosen as we were some of the other quarterbacks in the draft. I, I still think he can be a solid uh, contributor, but uh, and, and maybe more than that. Maybe he's really got some upside. I don't judge him harshly based on what happened in Arizona because that was a, a shite situation to be in. I, I don't think you can necessarily tell anything. Jared Goff had a bad first year under similar circumstances. But when you're rebuilding, when you're starting from zero, which fortunately the Dolphins are finally doing, enough of this stars and scrubs crap to get you to 7-9. and nine. They're, they're committing to building a sustainable winner, and I applaud that as a fan. But... I'm always concerned about boxing yourself in. And the fact that they, they seem to have taken themselves out of tank for Tua, you know, if, if, if Rosen comes in and doesn't play well and doesn't look like he's got any kind of a future there, I mean, if he's bad enough, then maybe they'll go tank for Tua anyways. But how would you play it as a GM in a situation like this, Jason? Well, and I, um, in a minute, I want to go back to some of the teams sure. that we were talking about earlier. But um, for this... Let me just, my perspective of, of how, as these things were coming down, um, Christian Wilkins knocked out of the park, period. Um, then coming back with this, which I, I do perceive as a good move, I actually thought they were on their way to really putting something together and then completely dropped the ball. But um, as far as Rosen, I am in the school of thought that if you were to combine the 2018 and 2019 draft class, mm-hmm. And, and take Arizona out of the equation with Kyler Murray. Just say, what is he as a prospect to most teams? Because let's be honest, if Arizona's not picking one, I don't think Kyler Murray goes anywhere near the top five. That's correct. Um, so when you evaluate all of that, <laughs> I think that um, Josh Rosen is still maybe the fifth, sixth best quarterback of the combined classes, okay. putting him ahead of 
you know, the Daniel Joneses and the Haskins and the Drew Locks of this draft. Um, where he is versus Kyler Murray, I think that depends on the setup, but we'll see how that plays out eventually. Um, now, as far as it means for the future, I actually think it puts him in a really nice spot. So let's imagine for a second that next year, uh, Rosen goes out and he is a, let's just say, top 16 quarterback in the NFL, just overall. Um, you know, maybe he's not projected to put up 45 and 4550, but he's one of those guys you look at and say, we can work with this. You know, him being better than Tannehill, but less than the perceived notion of Lawrence or Tua. I think that they could be okay with that moving forward, but then again, I think if they get to that point of the process and he's okay, I still think there's a possibility to, to go ahead and, and tank. Um, I know NFL fans like to hear that, but <laughs> I think there's still a possibility that you could shed, you know, the 67th or whatever it was, um, and still go and draft one of those guys, but you got to put yourself in a position to do so, and that's, that's the tricky part. Uh, so I actually like the move, uh, but I like the move to see where it puts them right now, uh, and I still think they have time to figure out if they're going to try to get one of these other guys. But um, that being said, yeah, after the after the Wilkins pick, I'm pretty much I got nothing on any of this. Isaiah Prince, albeit a Buckeye, was one of those guys I was just trying to stay away from completely. Um, Miles Gaskin, nice uh, kick return specialist. Change the pace back that has a lot of fans thinking he's the next Ladanian Tomlinson. So, <laughs> oh, um, I'll just yeah. say that latter end, that uh-huh. latter part. Um, yeah, please disregard that as being knowledgeable on any level because that's just ridiculous. <laughs> um, now, as far as Arizona overall, yeah, uh, to Chris's point, what I like about it, it's not who they got, it's where they got them and the order in which they chose to look for them. Uh, on the pre-draft show, I made it pretty clear that I I am a fan of Akeem Butler. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, he's got to figure out consistency, and he's got to learn how to come in and out of breaks a little better. And Good grief, he's got to work on dropping the ball. You get past all of that stuff, and I think he is a heck of a piece to get. The key here is that you got him in a luxury pick location after getting Andy Isabella, who's going to be much more you know game-in, game-out productive. Uh, from my understanding, he, Andy Isabella might have been the overall favorite, quote, slot receiver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so nice to see them getting production first. Uh, Byron Murphy, where they got him, was really nice. That's probably where I thought he was going to go if he didn't go in the first round. Zach Allen is a heck of a value pick. So all this makes sense for Arizona. Um, Washington I like, but more in a you got three to four huge names that you should not have been able to pull off altogether. Um, and, of course, for me, the big one outside of Montez Suite, uh, Suite after getting your quarterback is finding a way to get Bryce Love. Uh, yeah. A lot of people forgot about him, but two years ago, that guy was a Heisman Trophy candidate. Uh, so, And he does not run like a change of pace back. He runs like a legit franchise starting running back. Um, and then a guy that I, if memory serves, I think you were high on earlier, Rick, was uh, Kelvin Harmon. So yeah. pretty hard. I think that's mostly to do with his uh, less than great combine. And if that's the case, that's a huge win. Um, Buffalo was another one that I looked at and goes, what was the last time we said Buffalo did well? <laughs> um, so, you know, you've got Ed Oliver up front, which I thought was brilliant. 
Um, I still don't know why Cody Ford slipped, and I can't buy that it's because he's six two. I mean, if you're so afraid that you need a six four, six foot five franchise left tackle, that's fine. But I was always under the impression that Cody Ford was a really, really good right tackle at the NFL level and potentially a Pro Bowl caliber guard. So you know, it depends on where you want to put him. But that was brilliant. Uh, and yes, Rashawn Joseph was another one of those guys I was really excited about. So they did well. Um, you know, a lot of those teams in the middle, I really like what they did. But uh, but bringing it back around to the Rosen thing, uh, I think Arizona did well. It afforded them an opportunity there, and they would have been dumb to hold on to Rosen. I think Miami's a good spot for him to go. We'll see what happens this year and then and build from there. But I don't necessarily think that Rosen precludes going after Lawrence or Tua. I just think that if they do that, it's going to be set that they are so great. And this is where the the quarterback hype machine for that draft is going to be off the rails. But I think if they pull it off, it'll be because they've been able to express that they believe shedding a second-round pick is nothing to get one of these guys who everyone is going to assume are a pre-lock to the Hall of Fame. So... In that regard, they could, they could win out either way. Very good points there. And uh, by the way, and you brought up about Cody Ford, one of my least favorite uh, things here, when we're talking about all the smart marks draft season and all the people who make silly seasons so silly, one, one of the worst subtexts of the smart mark populace are the height supremacists out there. I am so sick of this crap, whether it be Cody Ford or Ed Oliver. I don't know if Ed Oliver is tall enough to be a top-flight defensive tackle. Shut up with that crap, people. I like to see all those people stuffed into a rocket and fired to the moon. I am so sick of hearing this. Uh, about, I'm so glad you brought that up about Cody Ford, Jason, because that's a pet peeve of mine, is morons running around screaming about stuff like that. Uh, again, we've seen these guys on the field, we've gone through, there's tape on them, there's whatever, but then you get to the off season, and it's time to artificially tear some guys down and build some guys up. It's asinine. You know, to that, um, just to follow, um, the Ed Oliver one specifically drives me insane because if you're saying that he's too short to be an effective defensive tackle, I want you to look around the league, and it shouldn't take very long. How many defensive tackles are six foot three? Like, not a lot of them. And the ones that are truly great genuinely tend to be six one, six two. And let's not forget the elephant room. The best all-world defensive tackle in the NFL. I don't even know if he's six foot. So that stuff's ridiculous. And then to further the point, and I'm going to go back a little way, uh, and I don't have it in front of me, so I could be wrong, but just going off memory here, there was a left tackle for the Washington Redskins whose last name was Samuels, who I'm pretty sure was only about 6'2", and he was a solid fringe Pro Bowl left tackle for almost 10 years. So the hype thing is ridiculous. You want to talk about wide receivers? Maybe. Defensive mm-hmm. ends, depending on the team, maybe. But we're in a place now where we're, the difference between 6'1 and 6'3", Absolutely. And you talk about receivers, by the way, uh, here's a clip and save. Deep sleeper, fantasy-wise, next year and in the years to come. 
Uh, Philly is very good at, at getting the most out of different types of wide receivers. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is going to be a guy who can go up and get the ball, and I think Carson Wentz is going to find ways to get it to him. Clip and save on that one, kids. Uh, Chris, I'm going to yeah. turn to you on this. Pet peeves are sort of a uh, recurring theme here today. Do you, do you have any as far as uh, draft coverage, analysis, types of uh, criticisms that are made about players, anything getting your goat in particular right now? Um. No, nothing in particular. It's the same stuff every year where we sort of slice and dice and, you know, Jason talked about, you know, oh, he's a half inch shorter and, and that doesn't matter. You know, where are the feet? How fast is the burst? How violent are the hands? I mean, these are the things we should look at. Not whether someone is 6'2 or 6'3. Right. Um, you know, and I, and I think we're getting to that point in terms of the, you know, there was a great, um, it was a great line by Freddie Kitchens in the Building the Browns uh, episode where he was being introduced as head coach, and he's on the way to the stadium, and he's razzing the the press guy who's escorting him, and the guy says, "Hey, I like you wearing the hat." And he's wearing his brown his brownie hat with he's wearing a coat and a tie with a baseball cap, and and Freddie says to him, "You know, see, I told you it would work," and. Um, you know, the problem with you is that you're like most of the coaches in this league, not willing to innovate. You think you got it all figured out. You're not you can't evolve. And I thought that was such a telling comment. Um, and, and we still seem to be stuck in that, I think, in terms of analysis, where, you know, you get this, you know, well, my quarterback can only be X or my defensive tackle can only be Y. Um, you know, all the talk about uh, Jonah Williams in Alabama and how long his arms are. Um, meanwhile, everything we've ever heard about the guy is he's an absolute beast and a, mon- and a total student of the game. Breaks down film on every opponent before the season of everyone he's going to play against. Has, keeps folders organized. Like looks at his technique. What he has. To, he starts doing studying what he has to do in each game and on, on what these guys are vulnerable on. You know, but yet we're worried that his arms aren't an extra one inch longer. Right. Really? Um, you know, so I think at some point, you know, this stuff will, you know, with the success of a Baker Mayfield or, um, you know, maybe some ways, maybe a future success of a Tyree Jackson from Buffalo who just signed with Buffalo as an undrafted free agent. Um, we, you know, it's six foot seven. Maybe if he was successful someday, we'll, we'll be able to move past the he's too tall narrative. Um, and if Kyler Murray's successful at five, you know, five ten, then by God, you know, wait till we have the first five foot nine quarterback come along. Um, so yeah, I, I don't have any real pet peeves. I just I tend to mute the television when they sort of throwing on and on about the silly things. Um, I, I'm a big believer in and and look, look at somebody and how they play football. Are they a football player? Do they play the position well? Do they have good technique? Um, that's that's always how I really analyze somebody. You and I discussed it last year going into the draft. We all agreed that if Baker Mayfield was three inches taller, he would have been the unquestioned number one prospect in that draft. Nobody would have questioned it if right. he was six three instead of six feet. Um, and and because the numbers and the tape and everything was there, um, but you know there was the obsession over that three inches. So well, that's a good point and. Uh... Again, uh, before I, uh, I throw it to you guys for some uh, closing thoughts here, I want to uh, point out again here, fantasydrafthelp.com, our 2019 FDH post-NFL draft team rankings. 
right there on the front page. You can click through to that. Uh, we also have rankings on there about the off-seasons of each team, taking into account the draft, free agency trades, and then a modified ultimate quantitative baseline heading into 2019, our UQB rankings. Uh, again, our closing rankings for 2018, it's half where they were at the end of 2018, half where they are based on the off-season. And so it makes for a very interesting mix, and you can see, and we put the closing 2018 rankings in parentheses, so you can see Philadelphia, for example, going from 12 to 1st on our list. You can see the big risers and droppers, Cleveland going from 21 to 8th. By the way, Cleveland at 21 was artificially low because there was no way to discount the first half of the season last year, which obviously was not representative of where the Browns finished. You're always going to find anomalies like this in there. So they shouldn't have been as low as 21st, but right about now 8th. I don't think most people would sort of question that. You've got Washington on the strength of a strong draft going from a tie for 26th up to 14th. Uh, you've got some teams losing ground here. Uh, the Giants going from 16th down to 27th. You can, you can check it out for yourselves here and, and see on this where these teams all uh, ended up uh, again on this. And again, ultimate quantitative baseline, just one measure of where teams are. You have to sort of take that and then uh, apply the eye test from there. The, the UQB does not apply... Uh, for example, the full weight of a Tom Brady and what he brings to New England, so it's not really factored in their ratings as much. Arizona still has a low rating, even though the next bad uh, coaching season Bruce Arians has will be his first. So you have to uh, apply some of these things yourself as you look at this, but it's an interesting place to start with. It's an interesting tool. But I want to take it around with both of you guys for additional thoughts that we didn't cover as far as the draft, anything additionally from the offseason, anything we haven't covered yet. I'll start with you, Jason. Well, um, one thing I didn't want to point out, uh, which does fall under the category of pet peeves of mine, so I'm going to be transparent with that. Um, I absolutely hate, and by all means, feel free to introduce uh, the Colin Cowherd dynamic here right now. <laughs> I absolutely hate when someone makes a declarative evaluation and then something changes it and then they stick to their guns. So the one thing I do want to point out, and you did mention this uh, during the draft, that um, Cioni, Taki Taki, yeah. uh, wasn't in the top 200. Right. And I went back and looked, and um, and essentially the the snafu was was not paying attention to, I guess, the intensity in which he plays. If you just watch him play, yeah, he makes tackles, he gets out there, he's a bigger guy. But uh, there was somebody out there on the Internet that uh, apparently watches him a lot uh, who described it, and I hope they're right. Uh, I hope that... Two years from now, we're saying, wow, I really missed on that one. Um, but the description was, he plays like you stole food off his plate. And he's always, <laughs> and he's always starving. And yeah, there's a, there, he plays with a little fire under his butt, which sure. is interesting. Um, so yeah, I just want to throw that out there. If if we end up that, uh, that we were just wrong on that, I will absolutely get up and take a bow to that. <laughs> Unlike a lot of the media people out there. Right. That being said, there's not a whole lot that we haven't really touched on because it was kind of a weird draft. It just it was. And, um, you know, once you get out of the top three, things start going a little crazy. Uh, so, you know, you take everything for what it is. Uh, I do want to mention in, in a selfish way, we get to the Browns. I do love seeing them at the number one spot on the overall offseason, which totally makes sense. Uh, I was a little bit more excited for the greedy pick than I probably should have been, uh, so I'll be interested to see that. I was holding out on Mac Wilson for a while because there is a little bit of an injury issue there. Uh, but uh, 
you know, like a lot of people, there's a lot of stuff there that I like. Um, but then to what Chris mentioned earlier, there was a lot of teams out there that picked good players and then some that kind of make you think a little bit. So, um, you know, with, with Cleveland specifically, I, I could punt the last two picks altogether. Um, I'm glad they got a kicker to bring in competition. And that's kind of what you saw across the board. You saw teams get a couple elite prospects. Wow. You saw them see some guys maybe you weren't quite sure about, and then you saw some flyers. Uh, so if it were only a handful of teams that did it that way, then maybe there's something to it. But it was pretty much across the board. So uh, no team comes out of this with an A+. Plus. And short of Seattle, no one really comes out of this completely holding the bag either. Well, and something to point out as well, the, the pick there in the third round for the Browns with uh, Tiki Taki Torch or, or whatever, uh, that is one that uh, Elliot Wolf apparently strongly pushed for that one. And this is a guy that's got a pretty good track record on these things. So, uh, again, hopefully he's right and we're wrong. Uh, there, you know, With past Browns regimes, I would be despondent because there would be no chance that they're right and we're wrong. But with this regime... Uh, there's there's always at least a fighting chance that John Dorsey is as well-versed on these matters as Jason Jones. And that makes me very happy as a Browns fan. So uh, I will turn to you, uh, Chris. Uh, <laughs> any additional thoughts on uh, whether it be the Browns or any other 31 teams in the league uh, on the draft or the entire offseason? Well, you know, it was uh, offseason-wise, I do think the Browns had the best offseason. I mean, yep. it's hard to say when you pick up the best wide receiver in the game, arguably, in his prime, um, that you've had a bad offseason. Um, and then adding to the pass rush. Uh, so I thought the Browns have had a, had a great offseason. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by a couple things they even did. You know, even in drafting the kicker out of Oklahoma, who had a really good career. He, he's got a big, strong leg. You know, I, I was okay with Greg Joseph, but I also know the need for competition, and they're bringing in the guy who knows how to boot it. So that's that's a, you know that's an okay thing. And the fact that John Dorsey was willing to pull the trigger on that in the fifth round shows you how comfortable he's getting with his roster. So he was looking at this draft as one of as one of depth needs, uh, and I think a lot of teams out there were really doing the same, other than the you know the Dolphins and some others that. That were really, you know, uh, that are rebuilding. The Cardinals again were really restocking on talent. Um, you know, there there's some teams that I like what they did more than others, but by and large, it's a meat potatoes draft. With a, I think it's going to prove out to be a mixed bag for most of these guys. You know, some of the teams that I'm going to be watching here you know, very closely: uh, Jaguars uh, and the Bears. Um, oh, and as coincidence would have it, they both signed. Um, an Ohio Bobcat to um, nice. to undrafted free agent uh, contract. So we've got Pappy White heading down to Jacksonville, and our uh, our good friend Joe Lowry heading to Chicago Value. to uh, compete for a tackle position. Um, and then, of course, uh, the Jags also bringing down linebacker Evan Crouch uh, and a minicamp tryout uh, from the Bobcats, and Kylan Nelson heading to the Cardinals. So another reason. Uh, to uh, root for the Cardinals as they bring in a safety Kyla Nelson for a mini-camp tryout. So, um, you know, I just wanted to put my body cap plug in, Rick. That's what was important to <laughs> me at the end. <laughs> yeah. Those are, those are always important to uh, to get in there in our own... In our own unbiased opinion, of course, uh, these teams made great moves picking up the Bobcats, and uh, I'm sure we'll find immense value 
uh, as they unjustifiably fell to the undrafted uh, free agent portion of the draft. But uh, as always, uh, a fascinating couple of days in the NFL. We now get to see the fallout. We now get to see, uh, starting with the, uh, the mini camps coming up here, uh, and then uh, the only real lull in the NFL season, 12-month season here. You know, you get into June and the early part of July, and hey, that's where uh, the police blotter kind of takes over traditionally. So we'll get to see who goes out there and gets themselves in trouble during those six weeks of uh, no accountability in the NFL offseason. And before you know it, it'll be time for training camp. And we'll be back talking football on a regular basis on the program uh, again. But uh, this is going to be probably the last one for a while that we do. As I say, we may do something between now and uh, the the real start of the season. Uh, But this sort of marks... Uh, the end of this part of the calendar, and this has always been a tradition in the lounge to do this, and specifically with you two guys, two of the originals. So uh, thank you both for being a part of this here today, and thank you everybody for tuning in to FDH Lounge Mini Episode number 1112. As we bring the show to a close, we would like to extend our deepest gratitude to NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, all Clear Channel affiliates, TNT, TBS, USA, UPN, Deadspin.com, YouTube.com, YTMND.com, MySpace.com, various blogs, Fox News, CNN, CNBC, MSNBC, IamBoard.com, Billboard.com, Google.com, ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN News, ESPN Classic, NBA TV, NFL Network, Sports Time Ohio, Athlon Magazine, Comedy Central, Cartoon Network, The Boomerang Channel, QVC, BET, The Spice Channel, Steno Notebooks, Manwich, Papermate Office Supplies, Waitresses, Strippers, Bartenders, Garbage Men, Janitors, Microwave Popcorn, The Writers of The Office, Scrubs, Entourage, My Name is Earl, Oz, Metalocalypse and the Boondocks, Aquafina, and The Periodic Table of Elements. 